Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. And welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you're doing okay. It's another week. Another week has gone and it's another Friday. Therefore, this is another Arscast in your ears. It's Thursday evening right here. It's about 10 to 6. Not that I'm channeling my uh, inner Ray Parlor here, but I am doing my bit for the Irish economy, trying to keep the uh, local craft breweries uh, running because, you know, they're essential services and what have you. So I've got a beer here in front of me, and uh, I'm talking into a microphone. So, you know, things could be worse. They could be worse. I hope everything is uh, is okay wherever you are, and I hope you and yours are keeping safe and well. It's strange, isn't it, to think that if everything were normal, we would be preparing for the final game of the league season. The game in which we clinched a place in the top four. And I know you're thinking, what are you talking about? You know, we're ninth. There's no way that was going to happen. But after beating Southampton at Southampton, thanks to a Shane Long own goal and getting some revenge against Norwich at home after they had uh, pulled us back and drawn with us uh, when Freddie was in charge, and then beaten Wolves away because we owed them from last season. Then Leicester would have come to the Emirates and Brendan Rodgers would have been there on the sideline with his big sharky teeth. And on each tooth is a picture of Brendan Rodgers looking at himself in the mirror and it's like an eternity of Brendan Rodgers' in white teeth and Jamie Vardy and all of those people. We would have won that. 
We'd have won that. Vardy would have got sent off after about 13 minutes. First yellow card was a foul on Mustafi after four minutes, which Mustafi made the absolute most of. It looked as if he was actually going to die. But within three minutes, he was back up and running around. And just a few minutes later, Vardy looked for revenge by taking a dive in the penalty box. Off he went. Referee sends him off. They're down to 10 men. We win 5-0. Brendan's shark teeth do not get another outing apart from grimacing on the sidelines. And as we know, grimacing, as opposed to smiling, takes about 70% of the shininess off the teeth. Then, of course, North London Derby. The first one at the new Tottenham Stadium with Jose Mourinho in charge. No problem whatsoever. Mourinho would have tried all the mind games in midweek. Arteta would have had absolutely none of it. Aubameyang would have scored a hat-trick. Harry Kane, having just returned from a hamstring injury, would have ruptured his groin to the point where his testicles were hanging by his knees, and we'd have won that game nice and easily. Uh, After that, we've got Liverpool. They've already won the title. They've been on the piss for about three weeks already. They don't give a fish's tit about any of it. 2-0 win for Arsenal, just to keep a measure of respectability in it, you know. And then Aston Villa, already relegated Aston Villa at Villa Park. Jack Grealish waves to the uh, to the Villa fans. He's saying goodbye to the Villa fans who he loves so much, but a deal is already in place. He's going to play for the Arsenal next season. Him and his enormous calf muscles are going to be in red and white. We let him score a goal, but in the end, it's a 3-1 win for Arsenal. And we go into the final day of the season to face Watford at home. Do we have the cojones? Do we have what it takes to put it past Troy Deeney and his mates and secure a top four place with a win. That's all we need. We just need to win the game because Chelsea have fallen apart. Manchester United have fallen apart. Uh, Tottenham, they've definitely fallen apart. You know this in your heart of hearts. Wolves, they've kind of uh, fallen down a little bit as well. So three points against Watford on Sunday and it's a top four finish for the Arsenal. We're into the Champions League and we're back on track under Mikel Arteta. We're going to get that sweet, sweet Champions League dosh in. We're going to buy all the players. We're going to buy Thomas Partey. We're going to buy Upa Meccano. We're going to buy Super Duper Meccano. We're going to buy whoever the fuck we want because we've got Champions League money again. And now that's, that's not happening. Because of, you know, everything. So, you know, it is a bit of a bummer that that's not what's happening this weekend. And instead, there's uh, there's no football. Not English football, anyway. There is some football coming back, and that is something that we're going to discuss. And English football, the Premier League, the Championship, etc., is edging closer to a return. And with me to have a little bit of a waffle about that and all the other bits and pieces about government guidelines and testing and, and all the rest of it, it's Andrew Allen. Hello, Andrew. Hey there. It's, uh, it's nice to be on the show. It's been a while, I think. Yeah, it has been a while. You're too busy with your own podcast, of course, these days. Yeah, 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 of course. Of yeah. Course. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how's, uh, how's life in um, glorious isolation in Brixton? Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much over it. I just looked at my calendar today and I noticed it was two months since I was in the office. Um, the day job's keeping me busy. Mm. Um, and I found kind of ways to fill the spare time, you know. I've started running and doing a bit more reading and stuff. But yeah, there's there's still a void there, you know. The, the lack of Arsenal, I mean, I didn't, you know, I always knew it was a big part of my life, but it's, um, yeah, it's sort of very prominent how kind of much time I dedicated to it yeah I was watching uh, there was a 
video clip going around the other day on on Twitter about um, you know when when Almunia saved that penalty for Watford in uh, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. Was it the playoff final? It wasn't the playoff final or it was a game? Playoff which, semi-final or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah whatever. To it was it to Wembley. Yeah, it was a very important uh, game and Almunia made a double save from a penalty and, and Watford, you know, having looked like they were on the way out, went up the other end and scored. And just, I was looking at the mayhem. I was looking at the celebrations. I was looking at the players jumping all over each other. I was looking at the managers, uh, you know, the coaching staff running up and down and falling over. And, and I was looking at the fans. And I was looking at the fans in the stadium just leaping around and having a fucking great time at football. Um, a game which I know frustrates us at times, but which gives you these these moments. And, and in the context of, you know, what we're going to talk about, um, uh, the, the return of the Premier League and everything else, I got so wistful watching a Watford goal because, you know, when we get football back, it is not going to be that. It's not going to be anything even close to that, you know? So I wonder how, how much will it fill the gap? Yeah, I, 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 I have concerns. I mean, I, I, I think part of it is... I mean, look, I tried watching 10 minutes of the South Korean K-League the other day. <laughs> in an attempt to try and warm myself up for football in front of no fans. And I couldn't really get excited. And I, I've got this underlying feeling that if I try the Bundesliga this weekend, mm. as much as I might enjoy watching some football, again, I'm not going to be so completely taken with it. But with Arsenal, I mean, it's Arsenal, right? And mm. there is some stuff riding on it. So I'm hoping that inside me, there will be a level of kind of like interest that will kind of fire up. But I mean, you're, yeah, obviously, there's not going to be any of the. Um, I think the, the kids call it limbs, isn't it? When it comes to kind of those mental crowd seats, yeah, or um, just just genuine. There's not going to be of any passion. of that going yeah. on. Um, yeah, are, are you... I mean, I don't even know if we'll be allowed to go to a pub and watch it. You know, at some point, you know, in the future, because um, you know, it'd be nice to sort of think that you could at least go and sort of stand five meters away from someone else and watch it in a communal environment. Yes, I mean, are you going to watch? the Bundesliga this weekend? I I think I will. Well, I'll watch some of it. I'll, right. see, I'll see how I go. I mean, I'm, I'm, I am curious, in, in part just to see some of the protocols that are in place mm. around the pitch, like how players interact with each other, um, all of the kind of little details that I don't think will really kind of... I don't think we can really get our heads around until we see them in action. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a sort of weird curiosity about it. Yeah, just for people who might be interested um, and who may have any kind of vested interest, a lot of people, I saw a lot of people talking during the week about, you know, which um, which which Bundesliga team they were going to choose to follow and choose to support. Have you had that? Have you had that discussion with yourself? I mean, I can't because, you know, the concept of second teams and, and what have you doesn't really do it for me but I you know I know it's not going to be a disgustingly sweet energy drink Leipzig um, I feel like maybe because um, I had a really nice time in Berlin uh, a few years back that you know I found the city very interesting that I might go for one of the Berlin teams uh, Hertha Berlin or FC Union Berlin but the the fixtures um, yeah have you have you talked or, or thought about a, a German team to fill the, yeah. the gap yeah, it kind of it came up. Um, we were discussing it on left field the other day, but I basically sort of plumped for Frankfurt because they helped kill Emery's Arsenal career. <laughs> 
And because, you know, it's one of the most delicious things that you can eat between yes, a piece of, of bread. Yeah. 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 Um, it's Hamburg, yeah, of course, I've, as well, you know, for that. This ham- yeah, Hamburg have gone down a division. That's, <laughs> I would have picked them otherwise. Um, yeah, look, I, 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 I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll have one eye on Frankfurt, let's say, but I'm not, I'm not going to get that mm. worked up about no. whether or not Frankfurt win or lose. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a fairly large kind of British contingent over there. I guess, you know, I'll be curious to see how those guys are. I've, mm. I've, I've kept a little bit of an eye on Sancho. And um, who's the young Chelsea lad who's out there as well? Um, Don't know. There's a, you know, anyway, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's, 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 it should be, it should be interesting. And at least there's a title race that's kind of competitive, which obviously in the Premier League, they're just, that isn't the case. Um, I know that Bayern are kind of leading the way, but there's mm. definitely a little group of teams who could catch them. Um, yeah. So, I mean, fixtures this weekend, Dortmund against Schalke. Augsburg versus Wolfsburg, Fortuna Dusseldorf uh, against Paderborn, Leipzig, Freiburg, Hoffenheim against Hertha Berlin, Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, Andrew Allen's team against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, bit of Granite Xhaka action in there. Um, yeah. uh, Cologne against Mainz on Sunday and FC Union Berlin against Bayern Munich on Sunday as well. Werder Bremen, Bayer Leverkusen on Monday. So go FC Union Berlin against Bayern Munich. Uh, I, you know, ordinarily you would say they have no chance, but of course we, we've got no idea what it's going to be like for players when they come back after a sort of unprecedented, I know that's a word that's used very often, but there is no precedent for, for a season stopping where it stopped for the amount of time that it stopped and then restarting again without a huge amount of, of, uh, is communal the right word, but but training together. So whether physically and tactically the players are all up to speed immediately, it might be a case that you get a few shocks along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, at, at this point, we don't even really know how the fixtures are going to run. Are we just assuming that they'll run in the order that um, they were due to in uh, originally when it was all sacked off? Why wouldn't... I mean, I, I well, suppose the I mean, only thing would be maybe if a team has to quarantine, No. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's that. I mean, at one point, obviously, there was the neutral grounds stuff that was, you know, something they were discussing. Um, I know that they want to kind of play matches um, staggered, don't they? There was a suggestion that they try and get as many on as pos- on TV or, or free to, to air as possible. Mm. I wondered whether that uh, whether the fixture list would allow for that to happen. Like if you've got a couple of London teams playing at the same time, do they want people? Around? I don't know. I was just kind of, I wasn't sure if they would, they would play around with that. Mm. Um, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns about everything. Um, I, 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 I'm, I can't even remember what the question was now. <laughs> uh, I, it was about, you made the point about the fixtures not happening, you know, in the, in the, the order yeah, that we're I mean, expecting them to. I mean, it doesn't. It it, it doesn't really um, make any difference, does it, for for Arsenal? I mean, I I know that we've we've got a few away fixtures. I mean, I think if anything, the fact that there's not going to be any fans in the ground should, in theory, make a trip to Manchester City um, a, a bit easier, right? Mm, I um, suppose. I suppose, but I'm not. But who know, knows? Yeah, I, I'm not necessarily convinced that it does. To be honest, I don't think really, unless you're. I mean, think about the the only time that maybe you could think about a crowd influencing an Arsenal team, and it, it might have been something like Stoke away at the height of Stoke's complete cuntiness and at the height of our sort of 
brittleness, if you like. You know, when we weren't mm. necessarily uh, a team with the greatest character, um, you know, where where if something went wrong or if, if it got a bit tempestuous, we weren't as well able to cope as we were in the past. Beyond that, I don't really know that, you know, uh, uh, Man City fans would be that intimidating to to Arsenal players. Um, I think it's more to do with the team and the, the, the way they're set up and how good they are on the pitch. Um, mm. I, I, I don't really think it's going to have a huge amount of difference beyond being a really strange experience because they're used to noise. And, uh, you know, I, I even wonder about, you know, are they going to think about the things that they say on the pitch or the, the things that they shout? Because, you know, stuff that's ordinarily drowned out by by the crowd, by the noise, by the singing, by the cheering and booing or whatever it might be, is now going to echo around stadiums, which is, I think, an interesting thing. That's another reason why I kind of want to watch the Bundesliga. Of course, I'm not going to understand any of it, but I just wonder if, you know, they're going to be, um, they're they're going to be mindful of that in some way. I think they might even um, be told not to shout, not so much because of what they're saying, but the mere act of shouting would see germs <laughs> spread. And I, I'm not joking. I think uh, no, ref- but it's absurd at the same time. It is absurd. But I think the referee, they were saying in the, um, the, 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 the commentary of the South Korea game I was watching on Saturday for 15 minutes or something, that um, the referee would have the right to book a player if he felt that they were shouting too much and therefore putting other players at risk from the Where is the guideline for that? Like how much is too much? Are you allowed well, a certain I mean, amount of shouts, you know, per game, or is it, you know, if you're if you're excessively shouting because one of your teammates has done something wrong, or you know, oh. yeah, I mean, it's a bit crazy. I mean, a bit like I saw you raise the point when um, some of the protocols were suggesting that players needed to turn their head away from players if there was a tackle or something, so that they yeah. minimise again. I mean, all of it's a bit. Well, it's mad in in the sense as well, because, uh, you know, are are they or are they not um, on the pitch because they've tested negative for COVID-19 anyway? So is there any need for for greater care if everybody who's on that pitch is um, apparently free from the virus, whether it's symptomatic or asymptomatic? You know, they've tested negative. You know, they're not going to be allowed on the pitch if they're potential spreaders. But, you know, the idea that you have to turn your face away as you get up from a tackle, I think that's that's what it was. I mean, you know, when, when you go arse over tit on a football pitch, the last thing you, you're sort of thinking of is, well, where is the face of the guy who's just kicked me? Uh, and I'll make sure that my face is pointing in the opposite direction from him as I tumble back to my feet, you know. It is it is bizarre. On the plus side, they are disinfecting pitches. So as soon as you go in for a nice sliding tackle, you'll uh, you'll you'll be covered in disinfectant of some sort. So what are know. they going to do? Th- I mean, uh, I have no idea how they're going to do that. Whether they just fill the old sprinklers with uh, bleach instead. Um, some people are yeah. quite allergic to bleach, so that that might yeah, not sure go down well. I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure it's not bleach. Yeah, TCP um, like well, TCP for grass, whatever the fuck that mu- is. As much as as much as Trump might want them to to go with the bleach angle. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah pre pre game injections. Deary me. Yeah. Um, so look, yeah. we we are we are looking perhaps at players coming back to training on. Not on Monday, but next week, 
because there are discussions to be um, had this week between clubs and players, and and you know there are still some some issues um, in terms of the protocols to be decided, and and that's for every club to talk to their players, and then the players to feed back to uh, the Premier League, and then hopefully protocols will be. Uh, set in stone, I think, is is the right way to put it from Monday. And after that, players can go back to training. But uh, I suppose the first thing is that this is going to happen in stages. So at first, it's going to be small groups. And then they have to look at how those small groups go together, at which point they can then um, seek permission to move to stage two, which is full contact training. And just in terms of the the schedule, I mean, the, they, they're talking about June 12th as the date to bring back the Premier League. And, you know, I think that's the same date that they're going to bring back Serie A. So there might be some harmony across um, European football leagues in that regard. But, you know, what, what do you make of the idea that after this amount of time off and with maybe a couple of weeks of, of stage one training before they move to full contact training. Is that a realistic time frame? do you think? Um, some managers have already expressed some concerns that they're not going to be able to get their teams prepared properly within that specific time frame. I mean, I, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, they, they know their players better than anyone. Um, I think for a footballer not to kick a ball for two months pretty much and then be brought back into a team environment, it's going to be very, very difficult. I mean, who knows what little knocks and injuries and muscular problems they could pick up along the way. Um, I think uh, there won't be any kind of pre-season friendlies um, yeah. in that period, which obviously is, is, is quite problematic one, from just organising your team, but two, from kind of trying to build some semblance of, of match fit- fitness. Um, and it, it all leads leads to me thinking that games are likely to start probably at a, a slower pace. I think players are going to look to probably mm. protect themselves a little bit more. I can't see them going hell for leather from the first minute in the first game back, um, which again will kind of, you know, I think fans will notice that quite quickly. Uh it's. I completely understand the, the the reticence on the part of the managers, who I think some have asked if we, if the league could push it back another week at least. Mm. Um, I don't think there's a huge issue about tackling not being allowed from the first week because I think, from what I've read, that in most normal pre seasons they probably wouldn't have contact anyway. Mm. Um, but there's no doubt it's going to be different to a preseason of the summer summer style. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's 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 just so many issues. I think I was even reading today that it's not like Arteta would be able to have a team meeting after a session to then go over stuff. Um, that would all have to happen back at their homes via video link again. They really are going to minimise the amount of contact um, that they have. They can't do team meetings at the moment in that kind of first phase. Um, I mean, it's going to be, you know, the, the practicalities of it. You know, I, I wonder, um, you know, are they going to use the dressing rooms in in a way? Because, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're nice at Arsenal, but, you know, you're, you've got a lot of players within um, short distance of each other. Showers, toilet facilities, those kind of things. Um, mm. You know, are players just going to do their training and then jump in their cars and head home to have a shower and, and things like that? 
I think that's the plan initially. They they have to once a session which are capped around about seventy five minutes, they will just have to head home and go and have a shower. Right. Um, I guess in the second phase, if they were able to have a little bit more contact, maybe even open up a few of the buildings and congregate a teeny bit, um, there's not going to be any of the academy players. I'm assuming at the training ground because their season's been sacked off. So I guess you could spread people out across different changing rooms um, at London Colney. I mean, this is talking specifically about Arsenal. It doesn't yeah. necessarily help other teams. Um, so I guess there are ways about spreading things out. But um, yeah, obviously not ideal. Um, I don't know what it does really for that kind of sense of camaraderie. I'm, I'm intrigued as to how, how are players going to get to games? Are we going to have them all sitting on buses in close proximity to each other? Will there be numbers of buses going up there? Will, you yeah, know, that's a really good point as Are well. they going to drive themselves? Yeah, it may well be a case that they, they kind of have to, or you've got to get a couple of buses and you've got to apply social distancing on the buses. Yeah. But then I suppose if, you know, the players are undergoing this testing and they're going to be, you know, Arsenal are going to do what Wolves have done and they have this sort of drive-through testing facility and players are going to be constantly monitored. There's going to be ongoing testing of them, their temperatures and all those kind of things. So if they are in this kind of controlled environment and if they are being asked to go out and play football, A, with each other when they're allowed to do that in training, full contact training, and B, against other players who they have to, um, I guess, trust, have undergone the same kind of rigorous testing and are, uh, as they're on the pitch, clean uh, and, and uninfected by the virus. You know, if they are that, if, if you're going to ask them to play football, does it make any difference if they're sitting beside each other on the bus? Yeah, I mean, it's a reasonable question. I mean, uh, they're trying to present uh, as safe uh, mm. uh, an environment as possible I, in every element. I, I, I'm i not convinced that that many footballers will be concerned. Um, I think the prospect of them being able to play the sport that they love will carry a lot of them. I think the only ones who may have some reservations will be people who have... Uh, family at home who could be vulnerable and mm-hmm. the risk of transmitting stuff back to them um, by and large and it does sound to me like the Premier League aren't overly concerned about a, a mass number of players kind of vetoing the idea of you know you know games returning I think some of them would kind of be happy to, to get back to earning their crust as it were sure I I, I mean look I, I have suspicions that maybe there might be more players who are uneasy about um, the return than we're aware of because, you know, at the moment all we're hearing about is the clubs, we're hearing about the Premier League, we're hearing about the government guidelines, mm. we're hearing from the managers to a certain extent. And as yet, it's very difficult for the players to say, well, look, I'm okay with this or I'm not okay with this because, you know, they don't really know what it is that they're being expected to do and how often they're expected to do it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I wonder after this week when when clubs have been talking to players whether or not we might start to see, not pushback per se, but maybe players raise concerns. And I think that uh, a number of uh, fairly high-profile players have raised some concerns. Maybe they might be mitigated by the the assurances that they get, but 
You know, there was the thing in the Athletic article last week about how doctors uh, were saying they felt pressure from, we assume, clubs and executives and owners and what have you to give assurances to players about health and safety and fitness that they're not yet capable of giving them. So there's still this sort of really gray area. And I think what's another interesting aspect to this is the the legal side of it, because um, there's still talk of liability. Like, who is liable if somebody, because of their involvement in Premier League football, whether they're a player, a manager, coaching staff, support staff, medical staff, broadcaster, you know, whatever it might be, who ultimately is liable for something if they got sick or if something serious happened to them? So there's the legal side of it as well. And I don't know if you saw that the Sky Sports... Uh, there was a Sky Sports report which said that players would have to sign um, consent forms yep. before they go back. So, I mean, maybe it'll all be okay, but it strikes me that um, you could understand why some of them might be reluctant to sign away whatever they're being asked to sign away just because football can come back. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the concerns about signing a disclaimer was whether it might potentially jeopardize existing kind of insurance deals mm. either held by the club or within their own you know private status um yeah i i i don't know i guess it's a bit more of an extreme case of you know when you go and play paintball and they ask you to sign your life away just in case you get you know a bullet shot in, in the eye, eye. <laughs> um you still want to play paintball though, because you you know you're there and all your mates are there and you're on a stag weekend or something. Um, yeah, I, I I think I think ultimately players will I think players will go back. I know that the the government has made it very very clear that under no circumstances can a player who has any concerns be punished. Mm. But God, I have no idea how clubs treat a player who decides that they don't want to play because there aren't the necessary safeguards in place. I mean, that that opens a can of worms that, mm. you know, blows my mind. Um, yeah. It's- I'm not, you know, if you, if, if you had one player in a squad who continued to pick up their wages, I mean, one, their relationship with the fans inevitably would sour, probably, even if we as supporters with all the best will in the world. If you, if Aubameyang decided tomorrow that he wasn't going to play because he didn't feel safe and we didn't have a strike mm. for the rest of the season, I think fans ultimately would get a little bit frustrated by that, especially if he was picking up a quarter of a million pounds a week. Um, so, I mean, there are issues there. I'm obviously not saying that Ober's going to do that. Um, yeah, and then there's a lot of... It, there's a, this potential strain within the squad as well. I think they have to kind of... The, the communication lines between the players and the backroom staff and the club hierarchy have to be very, very tight. And I Mm. guess they've been working on that via the video stuff over the last couple of months. And hopefully, I mean, all the word coming out of the Arteta interviews is that things are going well. He's enjoying, you know, being able to bond with the players, but um, huge pressure to be able to kind of keep everybody together when there's all this external stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, there's loads to think about. I think every club now is going to have to appoint a COVID-19 officer, um, which I guess is going to be the reality of the world we're going to live in as we as we go forward. Um, the officer apparently must be a senior employee unconnected to a club's medical team. 
or an external consultant or a specialist. Um, so, I mean, that is just going to have to be something that's that's ongoing um, as long as the, the threat of the virus is, is around. Um, mm. Yeah. I mean, it's not a concern for us, but I have no idea how this then plays out further down the line with European football if you have quarantine rules um, in the UK and, and probably in several other countries around Europe. I don't understand how European football can can play out. Yeah, me neither. I know I heard a story on the radio this morning um, that there were some some developments in terms of travel restrictions with within the European Union being, um, what's the word? Uh, what do you do with the restrictions? Softened. Softened, yes. You sort of unrestrict them. Eased. Because there's... Eased, exactly. There is, you know, there's a tourist industry, obviously, uh, yeah. to think about. And, and you know, uh, particularly coming into the summer, um, huge economic impact on many countries, uh, you know, most countries, I think, in Europe. Uh, you know, if people aren't allowed travel and, you know, hotels, restaurants, cafes, all the ancillary businesses, travel, airlines, all of those things. So there are going to be some easing of those restrictions, but it really depends, uh, I guess, on how sensible it is. I mean, there's certainly no way these games are going to happen with fans because you can't sort of all of a sudden transport, mm. you know, 3,000 people from a, a coronavirus hit city like Madrid, for example, and they could come to Liverpool to watch Liverpool play when they shouldn't. You know, that kind of stuff. So you're not going to have that. So certainly that's going to be behind closed doors. And then it's about how much can how much can you um, diminish the risk of infection when you've got X amount of people traveling from one uh, one country to another. I suppose football clubs are, are probably, well, previously might well have been capable of, of chartering flights and, and they probably still are to a certain extent but there are going to be financial issues for, for clubs to deal with as well because they're not going to get the money from uh, gate receipts and, and everything else so I don't know what's going to happen with, with European football either let me ask you this as, as a, a season ticket holder are you anxiously awaiting communication from the club in terms of you know what's going to happen with uh, the remainder of this season from a ticketing point of view, uh, uh, you know, are you thinking about a refund? Are you thinking about a voucher off your next season ticket, whenever that might be? What's your um, what's your thought? Have you given it any thought? I mean, not not a huge amount. I mean, I feel for the club because obviously they're not quite sure how things are going to play. I mean, it, it's clear now that it's going to be behind the closed doors for the rest of this season. The mm. big problem, I guess, is, is what happens next season. Um, how do you try and sell season tickets to people if you're not sure that football can be played in front of fans come mm. whenever the season starts? So that's their major issue. Um, well, they can't. I guess... The well, they, can, well they, 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 can't, they can't ask for the money, but I guess... I suspect what they will do is they will I mean they owe they owe Arsenal season ticket holders two home game cup credits because we didn't go far or have home draws in the cup games. Mm. So that's two games that they're going to owe us for plus four additional fixtures that we won't be able to go to the stadium for. So that's six. Yeah. Um you know you times that by the average cost of a, a ticket, let's say around about 65 quid and then times that by 38,000. That's a lot of money that's got to be rebated at some point. Mm. Um, 
a lot of people who are season ticket holders will happily have that off their next season ticket whenever that is. Um, but there may well be some people who are just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do football anymore. I can't afford it. Or football in those circumstances doesn't seem like it's worth the risk. So they will have to probably give some money back. Uh, I just don't know. I mean, the timing, I don't think I've seen any club come up with a, a timeline for this. No, I did um, ask, I did ask um, today if there, if there were any developments in that uh, situation. And I was told, we will issue details in due course. So yeah. shedding no light whatsoever on, on that. I mean, while I do understand it's a very complicated situation. I, I mean, I, in some ways, they're lucky that this has happened towards the tail end of the season. Because, <laughs> you know, rebating four games is fine. If you'd just taken the money off everybody two games into a season, um, that really would have been uh, problematic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but, did you? Are your calculations? Let me just sort of double check. So, six games at fifty quid. Let, you said sixty-five quid, but let's just say well, let's fifty, say 50 quid. quid. Yeah. Say fifty quid a ticket. So, six games at fifty quid a ticket by thirty-eight thousand. That's the amount of season ticket holders. So, sixty-eight. Yeah. Or hang on, let me clear that. How the fuck do you clear? Stupid <laughs> fucking calculator. I both, we both know that maths is not our strong point. No, it, well. de- it definitely isn't. There. What? No. Go back. Motherfucker. There is no cleared thing on this. You've got to turn it sideways. Oh, now it's doing that fucking... Now it's Hang doing on, that calculator me... where you, you know the one where it's for algebra or whatever it is with all these, like, um, costs and 10 and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what any of that is. So I, I've got it down as 11.4 million. 11.4 million. That doesn't include... Oh, go on. Sorry, I was doing that at 60 quid. So let me do 50 times 6 times 38,000. Yeah, 11.4 million. Right. That's not including any of the tickets that have been sold to other members as well. So some of the games would yeah. have been on sale, wouldn't they? And, uh, you know, yeah. um, so there's probably tickets you there. Have to, mm? You have to remember that club level and platinum level and all of that, that is, you know, that's big bucks. Refunds. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and there was some talk, wasn't there, during the week, I think it was in the, the Times, in one of their reports on what's happening, that even if the season goes ahead, uh, the clubs are expected to repay something in the region of £320 million pounds to hmm. the broadcasters. That's if they go ahead. So even if you average it out, that's around 17 Seventeen and a half million per club. Now it may be different based on you know who's who's been displayed, but just averaging it, seventeen point five. So we've got eleven, we've got twenty eight, nearly twenty nine million pounds for the club to repay to season ticket holders and broadcasters. Um, on top of the fact that they're you know saving money off uh, wage cuts and all that kind of stuff, it's a it's a lot of money to yeah. give back. When you it don't is. have any income to replace it as well. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's that is definitely going to be difficult. And, I mean, obviously there was the AST um, maths around what would mm. happen if the whole of next season was played behind closed doors. And that suddenly saw us kind of end up with a financial loss of something, what, 144 million quid for the yeah. financial year to the end of 2022 or mid-2022. Yeah. Um and they were, I guess, as, as as they were quick to point out, you know, 
suggesting that we'd be playing in the Europa League and that there would be some kind of you know money up for grabs there and the TV deals would basically stay the same. But if the TV companies are asking for money back because the status is not the same now, they will do exactly the same next year. So even if games do all take place, there's going to be even more money um, taken away. Um, and I think, you know, the knock-on effects on merchandising, if fans aren't going to stadiums, you know, the numbers of people buying, you know, just shirts to, to, to wear to games, but then obviously everything else that goes around it. Um, I mean, there will be some savings. I mean, the cost of putting on a match day will be far less, but, mm. you know, not not hugely. Um, especially if at the moment they're still paying staff, even though they're not um, yeah. being used. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, lots of losses. The financial landscape is 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 grim, for sure. And I guess uh, you can understand why Premier League clubs, not just Arsenal, it's fair to say, are, are keen for, for games to begin again. So even if they have to repay a certain amount, uh, they're not repaying the huge amount that they would have to pay, which I think goes up to seven hundred and sixty million if if the season isn't completed and it's sort of finalized based on points per game and stuff like that. So mm. Well, uh plenty for Stan and Josh uh, to be thinking about and Raoul and Vinay and all the guys, uh, and good luck to you. Um, while you're thinking about that and not having nightmares because even just talking about it from this abstract uh, point of view has given me the flutters um, and it's not my money uh, but it it is our football club so we'll see what happens Uh, we'll leave it there though Andrew thank you very much cheers great to be on the show again it's a cheery one as well I like that Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Okay, joining me now on the Arscast, I'm delighted to welcome one half of uh, fantastic electronic music duo Groove Armada. It's Tom Findlay. Hi, Tom. Hello, how are you? I am all right, thanks. How are you doing at the moment? How's everything going in this uh, in this period for you uh, in general? Um, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty odd, uh, odd time. But mm. here in London, I'm, I'm in... Um, Right next to Clissold Park, which I can tell you this weekend, the social distancing was definitely uh, falling apart, to say the least. But, uh, but you know, we're doing what we can to kind of get our thrills through this. I mean, I was being immaculate. I want to make clear in my social distancing. But I say the general standard of social distancing was not at its best this weekend. Right. Okay. But yours was perfect. We just get that I was, clear. I, I was probably two and a half meters. At all oh, well, that's good. You know, a little yeah. margin for error is always a good thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so, look, uh, Groove Armada have been going, uh, like, how long? How long have Groove Armada been? a thing and and uh and how did it get started for you from a uh from a career point of view music and uh making making um funky sounds that's a lot of questions it is um, sorry I'll, yeah I'll, I'll, that's okay i'll start question one i guess we've been going nearly 25 years as a as a duo yeah uh kind of i reckon our first record was about 20 years ago first album um and yeah kind of in terms of music i mean i've always been I've always been a music lover, you know, and that's always been a big thing. And I played in bands as a kid and never really felt like it was ever going to be something I'd be able to make a living out of. But then uh, I went to uh, study in Manchester, um, did my American studies degree, which has been obviously enormously helpful <laughs> to me going forwards. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I spent a year in New York as part of that degree. And that's, that's when I started actually getting paid to DJ, you know? So I played out there and then I started a residency. Hang on, hang on a second. Hang on. So you, yeah. you, you went to New York as a student and yeah. your, your first forays into the world of DJing were during that year in New York. Well, no, there's, I'd been playing in Manchester uh, okay. the year before. That had predated right. it. but And I played a little bit in Cambridge where I grew up, but again, not really getting paid. But the first sort of stuff, yeah, I, I just went mad. The, the music that I grew up loving was like soul and disco. And, yeah. you know, it was not that easy to find that stuff in, in record shops in Cambridge. Uh, but in America, in New York, it was like the home of it. So I think I think I went in deep there, started building up my collection, then came back to Manchester. Suddenly I had this incredibly... Um, excellent record collection and i think that's from there then i, I became a resident of a place called head funk and then yeah and then i came back to london and started djing eventually djing with andy the other half of groove Armada, and then made a record uh, that got signed like mm. and then and the rest is history so this would have been like what early 90s mid 90s uh, yeah so like oh, i'm trying to reveal that i guess about early 90s yeah so right. mid 90s is is when suddenly things 
like it becomes a possibility for me to to have a career and we're actually making records. Yeah, because it was a really interesting time for, you know, obviously the club scene had been developing and growing, but, you know, I know um, sort of mid-90s when I was going out clubbing and when I was DJing, I also wanted to to make music. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the slight handicap I had was that I could not play any musical instrument. Nevertheless, I didn't let this stand in my way because, you know, it was it was sort of possible to do things with music that it was never previously possible to do. So if you had your computer, you had a sampler, you had like a little a keyboard. Uh, I remember going to a place down the road from me where you could hire sort of rack units, synth units and stuff like that. And playing around with sounds and and stuff like that, so it was really kind of interesting time to to do that sort of stuff. I would say more so if you had a you know musical talent and ability, which obviously you had, and that was sort of my my slight downfall. Even though I have a I have a dat here, a dat tape here somewhere with a load of remixes that I did, and no possible way of playing them because I don't know anyone with a dat player. <laughs> uh, I'm conv- I'm conv- okay. <laughs> shit, uh, I, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that at least one of them is good but i can't can't say with any assurance so i mean it was a a cool time to to try and do stuff like that yeah i mean it was i mean you know people who who play with bands and me when i was like 15 16 so would probably say that i also struggled to play music (laughs) i got by on my charisma and my enthusiasm you know so uh and then i met andy who of course is young jazz musician of the year as both a keyboard player and a trombone player and I just stayed close to him. And that, that works really well. And uh, I learned a lot from him. You know, when the first albums we made, we were, we had like, you know, I mean, I'm sitting in my studio now in my basement and it's an impressive looking place, actually. I wish you could see it. But uh, yeah, when we to. started out, it, we had like, um, you know, one keyboard, a sampler. You could only sample like eight seconds for. So you could have to be quite resourceful. Uh, and in some ways that was, uh, that was actually a good thing. It's just less faffing about you just got in there one good loop looped it up suck a drum beat out and you, you only had a tune you know? yeah i yeah i had an akai that used floppy disks to yeah yeah <laughs> yeah we had some lots of good floppy disk times when we'd be maybe a little bit under the influence and you had to bet 30 floppy disks in the right order oh which my you can God. imagine <laughs> when you're a bit stoned how many times you went through that it was yeah. hilarious but kind of not funny at the time Until when you lost like disc number 28 and you're nearly there oh but there my you go. god yeah i mean look i, I remember <laughs> my nighttime reading for about three months was the cubase manual because i got oh, cubase yeah. and Sexy i'd literally stuff. yeah i mean no idea how to do any of it so i sort of taught myself how to use cubase and uh, mm. sequencing and sampling and, and all that kind of stuff uh but like you, you i remember reading the manual going what does this even mean i don't I, <laughs> this is like a different language but you know yeah. you sit there long enough you figure stuff out which is part of the fun yeah it is and i think there's i think the software has become much more intuitive mm. now so like um my son who's getting into music and getting into djing and all that sort of stuff of course you know amazing influence that he has around him and all that but of course. Uh, or not <laughs> yeah well he did actually ask me what tune i was playing the other night actually and it turned out it was uh it was george benson turn your love around which oh. i would have thought i could have passed on i mean i love that record but i mm. hope i would have thought something a little cooler might have passed through but there you go that what that's what it was but yeah he uses ableton live now and that's actually you can pretty much just drag bits drop them in there 
in a way that like in the early days yeah it was like it was like learning code wasn't it like yeah to work out how to use that stuff i know it's a lot easier now it sure is i've got logic here and um on my computer and i just sort of fiddle around sometimes i have a little keyboard here that i plug into the computer and then the the stuff you can make just with the sort of synths and and the instruments that are built into logic like in the old days, like I said, you could get a rack unit which had X amount of synths on it and synth sounds, and then you might get one d- different drum machines and what have you. But it's literally all there in software form, yeah. um, which is great, and I suppose it makes creativity easy, but I'm also slightly resentful of the fact that younger people have it that easy to, to do. You they know, They don't do. have to put and in the hard yards. And the downside of to all of that, of course, is that you are overwhelmed by the amount of new music that gets generated. Mm. So I, I spend my whole week just batting away promo emails, thousands, literally thousands of songs that I get sent every week. And wow. you sort of feel like you need to listen to them because within there, there'll be a nugget of something halfway decent. But you have to go through about 990,000 of just pure yeah. dross. Well, the old, day, yeah, the old days where I used to get like the, the white label vinyl sent to you yeah, if imagine. you were that important. Yeah, and I think that's why we were quite we were quite lucky in a way that we came into the industry in a time where you know there was this sort of pre SoundCloud or any of that stuff, and it was much harder to get access to technology to make music. So there was just a cabal of like four or five, and they were men, young men who mm. basically signed all of dance records. So you know you would you'd, you as long as you were in with them and you got your dance records out, then you'd go and down a black market and you might hear your tune being cut on an acetate a few days later. Things are a lot more complicated now the routes to market are just it's just you know there's just as i said it's the overwhelming overwhelming amount of content and lots of it is brilliant don't don't get me wrong but there's just so much of it yeah and it's i guess difficult now much more difficult now to make money from the music that you make because like mm. you say getting your getting your 12 inch into record shops and and what have you there was a sort of a structure to that back in the day but now if you want to get your tune out there you're putting it on spotify or on on these kind of things and the amount of money that you get per play is obviously uh uh well i don't know how to peanuts, describe it yeah. it's peanuts and yeah. i know people some artists who, who just don't want to have their music on there because they don't feel it's worth it for them uh, to, to to have their tunes on there because they're just getting so little for it. I mean, is that the biggest change in the industry that's that's happened since you got into it in that, you know, the focus on, on um, you know, the physical product, if you like, whether it was a, a vinyl or a CD, is now completely gone in favor of the, the, the streaming? Yeah, I mean, it has. I mean, it, I think within – I'm not exactly sure how old you are, but, you know, like within – 48. Our sorts, there you go. To so our sort of generation, then, you know, there was still this kind of real love of the of the album, isn't it? I think mm. one of these, this, this Tim Burgess thing, if you come across this, where he's doing yeah. this. Yeah, that's fun. We did one of them the other night, and that was a kind of really celebrating the cult of the album. So you go on there, and everyone plays a, a – so they did Black Light, one of our records, and you play it, and then people just find these questions in you live on Twitter as they play the album. That was lovely. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, streaming has been a blessing and, and a curse. You know, I think that there there's a lot more money coming into the industry now. Like, so I think all the majors, effectively, they took a stake in Spotify. So – they're doing really pretty well out of mm. this kind of huge um, upsurge in streaming, and that's even more so now. So I know people have got, well, they've got fuck all else to do, so they're streaming music even more now than ever, and that's great. But you're right that very little of that money is making it back to the artists, unfortunately. So, you know, it becomes down to this this model, this 
a business model for for musicians now, which is you've got to get out there and you've got to be performing, whether as a DJ or as a live band. And so these are these are worrying times, aren't they? Because you know who knows when the next time we're going to be able to get together in a field. Mm. Or a club, but it's not anytime soon, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about that, that the, you know, I, I saw a poster here the other day, you were supposed to be doing um, a festival over here. I can't remember yeah. which one it was. Was it uh, Forbidden Fruit? Was that the um, one? That was last year. It's, right. oh God, not tomorrow. But yeah, it's over, it's a, I should know, you put me on the spot here, but yes, oh, we were okay. going to be doing one. And we that, that one, the name of which we can't remember, which is terrible, we're booked to do that next year as well. So we will be coming back. And that's right. the, the upside is that all the, the shows that we had cancelled this summer, they've all renewed for next year. Yeah. Uh, but then you know, I guess we were just keeping our fingers crossed that that's going to be a possibility. You know, that's down to a boffin in a lab, you know, and a vaccine or something. And that's that's. that's Oh, that's above my pay grade. Yeah, the the festival is called All Together Now. Uh, that's so, the one. That's yeah, the one, remember yeah, it well. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's a good one. Yeah. So, I mean, what 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 does it mean for you in terms of your work? Because obviously, this summer and summer, uh, you know, as a as a time for gigs with festivals happening all over, you know, all over Europe and all over the world. Um, you know, what, what does that mean for you now in terms of your own work and, and how do you try and fill the gap? Does it mean getting into the studio more and, and creating more? Yeah, I think I sort of, I've been through a kind of, you know, so we've all been with this, this, this situation, probably a period of kind of, you know, grieving and shock mm. the last sort of five, six weeks about just trying to work out what to do, you know. Uh, and now I'm I'm talking to you from the studio and I'm taking my first tentative steps back into it. You know, I've got a couple of remixes, which will be good, so I can make some money there that I'll be doing this month. And But yeah, then the summer's, summer's gone. I think the upside, we were we were just about to, um, you know, release an album when, when the whole thing kind of blew up. And we were really massively umming and erring about where to do it. And we decided to just press ahead and, and release it. So we've got a single that's out there now in one way, shape or form. And I think on the benefit of hindsight, I'm pleased that we did it. You know, I'm pleased I've got something else to think about. And, mm. um, you know, we're still tweaking that a bit. And we shot this kind of weird self-isolation video. And that had to be, you know, so yeah. I've had other, you know, I've had other things to focus on, you know. And I think, you know, Anxiety, because the other the other thing I do outside of my day job is I'm I'm a I'm a cognitive behavioural therapist, so it's weird for me thinking about this time. You know, it's a boom time, I guess, for therapists. But just thinking about anxiety and a lot of anxiety is about you know an intolerance of uncertainty, a fear of the future. Mm. So, and that is more you know that obviously in a moment like this is 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 pretty extreme. So, just trying to focus in on what the things we can control, the things that we can do in the here and now. And, uh, yes, at the moment, that's tweaking around with a few new tunes, doing a couple of remixes. I've got a show that I do for Soho Radio, so I'll be recording a show for them next week. And, yeah, just trying to do that stuff and keep some routine, yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? Routine is – everyone's routine is pretty much thrown out of whack. Um, Mm. Yeah, look, well, it's difficult, I guess, for for everybody to try and find their uh, try and find something that provides structure to their lives when it's taken away, um, yeah. sort of at the drop of a hat. Yeah, it is, um, and I think you know, and in that sense, I feel, you know, it was funny listening to the, you know, I said we were chatting before about mm. the chat with with Buckles, you know, and I, the, I I hear a lot of what he was saying about Adam Boxing was saying about that. Uh, there is a bit of my life that's been 
you know, I, I, I tend to work on my own. I, I'm, I'm probably naturally more of an introvert than extrovert. So it's not, this time is probably easier for me than it is for the vast majority of people who are actually, you know, really struggling. So I'm, I'm, I'm enormously grateful for that. And uh, I'm grateful that, you know, we've, we've got this outlet with music and there's loads of stuff I can be doing. So, yeah, keeping myself busy, running in the morning, walking <laughs> my dog, Missing with football, of course. But yes. There you go. Yeah. Well, football nicely segued into that because uh, thank you, thank we're, you. <laughs> we're talking because uh, because you're an Arsenal fan, and one of the podcasts I that am. we do on on uh, Patreon for our Patreon members is is called My Arse, um, yes. uh, which is <laughs> which is just a you know a chat to somebody about their career, and this is sort of like a mini version of of My Arse for for everyone else because this is going out on our regular Friday. Arsecast, sure. but you know, let's let's talk about Arsenal. Let's talk about um, you know your your connection with it and uh, how much you're missing it. So, uh, how come you're you're an Arsenal fan? Well, I mean, I've got, I've got you know, I've got a cards on the table. Time I, I grew yeah. up in Cambridge. I was a Cambridge United fan initially. So, um, and that was that. You know, my first games I attended as a kid was actually a three nil home defeat to Rotherham. I remember it very well. So. Um, that's that's you know that that started out as a United fan, but then I guess it's that like that Nick Hornby thing. It's that that road is is it's not we're not million miles away from you know. I used to come to London quite a lot to go do record shopping and stuff, and so that and I guess Cambridge is my nearest club. So I was I actually started out as an Arsenal fan as a kid, and then I don't know if you remember an FA Cup final, and I, I can't remember the year. There was a centre half called Willie Young. Do you remember Willie Young? Yes, of course. Yeah. And I remember him. I was watching. I was an Arsenal fan at the time, and I was watching the Cup final, and he hacked down Paul Allen, yep. who would, would, I think would have been the youngest man to score an FA Cup final. I think he might have been 16 at the time. And I gave up supporting Arsenal for like 10 years when that happened. <laughs> I was so horrified. That was like the worst thing I'd ever seen. He just oh. ran up behind him and just booted his legs out, which now obviously, you know, was a quintessentially Arsenal thing to do in a lot of ways, that that era of Arsenal, you know. Sure. And then I came, I came back into it. I married... Uh, a North London woman, Jess, and you know she lives from Stone. She lives in Stone Newington, and I kind of married into Arsenal. All of her family are Arsenal fans. All of her friends are Arsenal fans. I've grew, grew, grew up. I live now in Stone Newington. I'm right next to Clissold Park. I can walk to games. My son's Alfie is a, is a gooner. So I just thought I'm just going to get on board with this really because uh, yeah. And so I guess it's sort of. I've been a season ticket holder now for like six, seven years, and that's been the. So I've been haven't probably experienced the best era of Arsenal, but I've still loved it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been up and down. It would be fair to say in the last six, <laughs> yeah. six or yeah, seven years for sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the 1980 uh, FA Cup final that Arsenal lost. Was it right? Well, there you to, go. So I was to uh, West Ham. Was, mm. There you go. Yeah, and that's I gave up for a bit and then came back to them. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it, how people have sort of different sensibilities. I, I remember looking at that Willie Young tackle and thinking that was great and, and, and carrying that <laughs> with me through my own footballing career yeah. uh, as much as possible, you know, to be a big cynical bastard, particularly with smaller, faster players. I found that was yeah. a very effective way of dealing <laughs> yeah, with them. No, that, that, now that I'm similar age <laughs> to you, then that's all I can do. That's, but, uh, but at the time, I was horrified. Yeah. yeah. I must have, I probably, you know, I probably thought, had related more to the young Paul Allen at that time. To the big, the big strapping Willie Young. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. So, look, who uh, who is your favorite Arsenal player of all uh, time? Like, doesn't have to be uh, the who you think is the best, but but your favorite. I think I've been thinking about this for a while. It's, I mean, there's there's two that stand out for me, and they're not they're not obvious ones. I don't think, although obviousish. But I mean, I loved I've always loved Aaron Ramsey. I've always thought he's got. A, you know, as a as a fan, I think people dig him out too much, and I think we've missed him 
terribly. And he recorded, very sweetly recorded a video for my son when he was six. So I always thank oh, him for that. Nice. And then, um, and it was just a very nice thing. It took the time and it made my son's day at that time. And any other guys, I, I've just thought, a guy that's always loved his football is Thomas Rosicki, same name, of course, but a bloke that just always seems to in, just exude joy, you know, when he's playing football. So mm. they're my two standouts, I think, in different ways. Yeah, I think it was Arsene Wenger said, if you if you love football, you love Thomas Rosicki, so... Yeah, well, there you go, that's me. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's a shame, uh, you know, the injuries uh, had such an impact on his on his Arsenal career, um, but he really yeah. had some, some cracking moments. Um, what's, what's your favourite... Arsenal goal. Yeah, again, I was thinking about this one. It's probably again. It's, this is the thing because we've come quite late to the team. It's probably quite a recent one. I think it's the it's that Wilshire goal. And I think was it against Norwich? But yeah. I remember when it was just a kind of insane sequence of passes, you know. And then, and I just thought that that was like that is quintessential Arsenal. That is like you know that is the team that the Wenger built doing its thing. You know that was that was just that was poetry in motion. That goal. Just you know, just remember, actually, you know what? There was also a goal that I remember. That, came to me was actually was it last season away at Fulham mm. when Emery, everyone thought that maybe Emery was going to be a decent manager and they scored that wonder goal was that Ramsey it was Ramsey it was yeah Ramsey back. finished so it those, yeah, yeah it was a, there was a mad little bit from Bellerin at one point and yeah those are my two favourites I think are you sort of more into the the um, intricate teamwork kind of goal rather than the 35 yard screamer into the top corner I, I admire that yeah I mean I can I'm, I definitely admire that I'm as a as a player myself, I'm definitely not a goal scorer, so I'm I'm always looking for the kind of the person who played the putt pass, the person before who played the assist. That's me. I'm like the kind of the guy that initiates a move, so I, I respect those kind of moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, th- th- there's beauty in both of them, I guess. So it's just yeah. personal personal choice. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the Wilshire the Wilshire goal was really uh, fantastic. It's one of those that people pick quite a lot as. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah. See. Well, no. I, I mean, I it is come up with something original. No, look, it's it's a it's a beautiful goal. A be- beautiful beautiful piece yeah. of football um tell me this i mean the the music industry and uh, quite a lot of djs are are big arsenal fans so um i mean pete tong am i right pete tong i think he is i think pete tong is you know what I've, he i don't have that many dj friends you know in that way but i oh. would consider pete i could i could put in that number we've 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 dined together and i've beaten a few starry occasions and he's never mentioned arsenal to me so, right but, I, but yeah, but I, I, I'm not, not saying I don't believe he's an Arsenal fan. There's a lot of Chelsea fans in the music industry as well, so you have to keep your, you have to try and avoid them. Right. So I think it's the kind of position because I think a lot of the music industry, particularly back in the day, was very much focused in in West London. You know, so I think that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I was, I've been invited to a couple of Chelsea games to sit in boxes. I've always refused, obviously, but um, but yeah, I have been invited a few times. Okay. Anything else? Where's Trevor? Trevor Nelson? Tell me, I'm, but what, is he an Arsenal fan? I couldn't tell you, but I've just looked up Pete Tong on Twitter, and he um, definitely is an Arsenal fan. And oh, he's, well, and he's uh, he's following me, so um, ah, I never knew okay, that. Well, so there, you go. there you go. I, ch- I did actually chat to him just the other day. We did a what was it? Something I've never done before. It was an Instagram live. Oh, right. Tong. Yeah. Okay. I was like, I was exactly. I was like, yeah. Anyway, that was my, that was my step. So what were you doing? Were you, um, were you just playing music? Were you doing like Sophie Ellis Baxter and dancing around and, and singing uh, songs or was it something a little more I refined? I wasn't, I wasn't doing that. Actually, he, we were just <laughs> sipping beers. He was, he's, you know, he's, he was very chilled actually. He was a kind of, you know, cause I'm quite used to the Pete Tong that gives it to you every Friday night in that way. And he's a brilliant, he's my favorite, 
you know, radio presenter. He's a really fantastic. Apart from you, do you catch yourself as a no? I don't know. But he's a great. <laughs> He's a great radio presenter. He really is the the one, you know. And my, I think of my, you know, my youth. I think of Pete Tong sort of driving to a gig on a Friday night with Tongi on the, on the radio. But this was a more relaxed sort of Tongi. He looked a bit dishevelled, which is good to see. And he was sipping a, a. He looked like he was a couple of way kind of glasses into his uh, into his wine. It was right. good to see. Okay, yeah, well now you've got something himself. else to chat to him about next time. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you can tell, you great can, to know. Yeah, so there wanted, you yeah. go. Uh, Judge Jules as well, another Arsenal Ooh, right, fan. Okay. So okay. there you go. So, like, have you have you ever had a really strange Arsenal connecting moment? Uh, you know, it could be something completely random, and you've discovered you've got this Arsenal connection with somebody. The one, the the ones. I mean, there, like you say, there's a lot of lot of people in the industry. I do remember, and I think this must have been at a festival called V V Festival, which is no longer with us, sadly. In and uh, and the thing is, I can't remember the game. It was a cup final. Might have been. Might have been the whole City Cup final. I can't remember. But anyway, Jay-Z being sat about three rows behind Jay-Z. Okay. I didn't dare to speak to me. He's a big he's a big Arsenal fan. Um, but I, uh, that was a kind of moment of feeling slightly overwhelmed and, and loving the fact that I supported Arsenal. But uh, I didn't speak to him. But I probably couldn't have got near him because he was so surrounded by, yeah. you know, by by a crew. But I, but and actually, if I'd leant over and told him as an Arsenal fan, it would have been pretty obvious because we were obviously watching an Arsenal game. <laughs> yeah, he does <laughs> so have a bit of a an bit entourage, pointless. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does have a big entourage. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I had much of one, so I didn't really feel like I had enough balls to. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, who else? Spike Lee's a big Arsenal fan as well, so. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we've we get... not met him. Sadly, no. We get these guys together. They can uh, they can buy us out. You know, when the, the yeah. when the value of <laughs> exactly. football clubs plummets uh, as yeah. this lockdown continues, uh, we might be yeah. able to you know find ourselves some some new owners. Um, That'd be nice. Yeah, it would be. So my genie in the bottle one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me this: um, if you could go back in time and mm-hmm. give an Arsenal player, a do-over with one particular incident, what would mm. that be? Well, you know, I mean, I would say that there's a few. I mean, any, any, whatever started that catalogue of injuries for Santi Gazzola, let's not have that. That's because good, that's, yeah, yeah. That's been, a, you know, I sort of feel like we were robbed of a couple of years of peak Santi, you know, and um, obviously I'm thrilled to see he's back, you know, amazing. But um, so I'm not quite sure what the incident was, but whenever that was, I'd, I'd, I'd have that back. You know, I'd save, I'd have two more years of Santi. Yeah, I think he had some like problems with an Achilles and he d- d- picked up an injury in the Champions League in a game. I think we won five or six nil. Maybe it was Europa League rather than Champions League. I can't remember at this oh, point. It's 2016. Yeah, but yeah. there you go. Yeah, it was a real shame. He was a beautiful player to watch, wasn't he? Yeah. He was. He was. I mean, of the kind of more recent year, you know, like a, I, 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 something I admire about genuinely two-footed players, you know, like people like, like you actually cannot work out because I'm very, very one-footed. My, my, my sweet left peg is my sort of nickname for myself. I don't. I can barely use my right foot. So when I see a guy like that, it, it, it inspires awe. I remember another Ray Wilkins, Butch Wilkins was a very two-footed player, not an Arsenal player, of course. Mm. Another one who I always think that's good, but yeah, Santi's cooler and, and everything else apart. I, I do remember that game, one of the games, one of the one I thought that maybe things were going to be different. When was it him and Coquelin in midfield against Man City? I can't remember yeah. what year that were. 
that was uh, that yeah. was me thinking that maybe things are going to be all right, and then they weren't. But no. that was uh, that was that was peak Santa. You know? Yeah, it had, it had its um, had, it showed some promise for a little while, but ultimately <laughs> Both, yeah. it wasn't quite the the the, the cocktail <laughs> in midfield that we required. No, 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 no. There you go. Right, you've got a you find a genie in a bottle, and he gives you three wishes, and one of those wishes has to be about Arsenal. You can have the other two to do with what you will. You don't have to tell us those because, you know, that's private. But your yeah. Arsenal wish, what would it be? Um, crikey. I mean, I suppose it's got to come down to the ownership, really. You know, like, uh, I mean, I love... I actually was watching... Uh, did you see that interview between Wright and um, Michael Arteta the other night? Yes, yes. It's a lovely thing. I just, I just came away from thinking how much I love Arteta and how that's such a wonderful thing, you know, at least that's something that's keeping me going through this, this pandemic moment, knowing that when we come back, Arteta's our manager. But I guess having an owner that, you know, that actually genuinely cared about the football club he owns mm. would be terrific yeah so a nice owner please a nice owner but you know a, a yeah, very a very nice, rich genuine wealthy, arsenal yeah. fan yeah who only yeah, wants but, the best for the club and will give us everything that we want as fans exactly and it's got extraordinarily deep pockets yeah, yes extraordinarily i can tell you now it's it's not me unfortunately but there you uh, go uh, got to win a euro millions or something like that uh, about four weeks in a row to even stand <laughs> half a chance a chance well, half a chance <laughs> yeah so now you've got newcastle united about about to be bought by saudi arabia i mean it's like yeah. insane isn't it yeah. it is anyway it is. well we can put the money into bitcoins and maybe you know we can become rich on that yeah, i don't recommend doing that at all anybody please <laughs> please don't do no, that do not do that so tell me about the new album the new groove armada album Okay, well, I mean that's great. It's um, it's called Edge of the Horizon, Edge of the Horizon. That might even be an exclusive, you know. Right. Uh, and I uh, did you say why? No, I said oh. Right. I said, <laughs> okay, I said okay, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just said why. But actually, yeah, well, like, okay, why? Why? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. Good question. I mean, really, I think it was. It's actually just a lyric from one of the tracks. But then it, you know, we are not getting any younger. It's ten years since we made a record, so I'm. Still slightly in shock that we managed to finish one. So, uh, what was I guess the, what was the biggest challenge in in making it happen and finishing it? Or in, yeah, and I, mean, else? I think it's probably probably Andy's farming, which is like really taken off now. Andy's kind of gone out, lives out in France, and right. uh, he's got about a hundred cows and uh, heritage wheat, and he's like kind of you know taking cows to Newcastle. He sells uh, bread to the French. And he's just super busy with that. So just getting him in the studio and focused and revved up, you know, was was probably the biggest barrier. But we started doing some gigs about eight months ago and, and really enjoying the shows and, you know, enjoying each other's company again. Um, and actually this one came together compared to the last one, which was which was pretty tortuous. Mm. This was this was re- relatively kind of effortless as an experience. And I've kind of actually enjoyed making a record, which is great. Right. Farming is a hell of a yeah. commitment, in fairness. You know, to, to make a record <laughs> while exactly. running a, a farm yeah. is quite something. And it is quite something. I, and I've actually gone out to see it, and I kind of assumed it was a bit Alex Jamesy, you know, like rock musician, making a bit of cheese kind of vibe. Right. But this is a this is a serious operation, you know, and it is quite something when you actually see him out there with the cows, you know, um, doing all that, doing all the mucking out, then getting in a bakery and baking the bread. And now he's delivering bread, you know, because all his drivers have gone, he's furloughed sure. everyone. So he is in the thick of it. That is where it's, so, um, yeah, it's pull up full on. But, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, managed to do that and make a record. Yeah, one of the more unusual sort of um, 
segues from a career in music into farming. You don't see that happening too often. No, to be you honest. don't. You don't see that too often. I think mean, you do see, you know, a lot of musicians ending up in country houses, um, you know, just going a bit mad. But not. But normally that's kind of, you know, in a kind of fun way, or maybe they'll have a little plot. Mm. But um, but yeah, going in there and then deciding to basically go quite heavy on it and i mean he's got this thing called heritage wheat and he's making this sourdough with naturally gluten-free bread he's um but then he's always he's one of those characters that whatever he does you know he goes in deep you know so he wanted we wanted to buy a barge but rather than buying a barge he bought one of those enormous dutch boats you know and he just never ever does anything by heart he made an <laughs> album on one of those boats uh but uh i i just tend to keep things as simple as possible that's my that's my yeah uh, that's my way of doing yeah the things. older you get the more simple things need to be so when, when is the album out well i don't know because it's sort of you know i think there's everything is 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 up and up for grabs a little bit i think where are we now i've completely lost track of time mid-may we're in may yeah we're in may so this so there's a single out now it's called get out on the dance floor which actually just just as a micro plug you mentioned sophie ellis Spexer in her kitchen disco she appears in this video doing oh, a cool. disco thing yeah i so watched oh there. actually i know that because i watched the video yeah i watched it oh okay. yeah, well, you, it didn't sound like you knew it <laughs> no 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 i did i i watched yeah. it yeah yeah yeah, yeah okay uh, so it's that and then there'll be a couple more singles and i guess uh like september time I right in september october and it's also weird because we were planning to be we were supposed to be playing the royal Albert hall in march the teenage cancer trust so it is odd because normally you make a record you go out on the road and, uh, and you push the record and, yeah yeah and you tell people here's a new one and everyone groans you know and all that but we can't do any of that so by the time we get out there and gig it everyone's gonna have heard and love the record uh, that's great yeah i love that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. here's yeah. one of our new songs ah oh, no oopsie <laughs> they didn't come here exactly. to listen to new music exactly yeah <laughs> all right so, well listen and yeah. um, best of luck with it when the album does come Thank out you. and we'll uh we'll include the the video uh for this brilliant uh, i'll link to True. the video in the show notes and on the website people can uh can go and have a look at it and uh you know in the meantime uh maybe you could take up a little bit of farming just to, to pass a bit of time yourself just a small patch grow some tomatoes no, okay well maybe yeah actually yeah maybe some maybe a couple of herbs a couple of herbs yeah <laughs> nice like you say keep life simple yes that's the one <laughs> tom listen thanks a million for your time really appreciate it real pleasure no worries cheers andrew Thank you very much indeed to Tom Findlay from Groove Armada. They are on Twitter at Groove Armada. And the brand new single called Get Out on the Dance Floor is out now. More details at GrooveArmada.com. The format of that interview is one that we do uh, for our Patreon podcast called My Arse, in which I talk to somebody about their life and times, uh, you know, career-wise and also as an Arsenal fan. And there have been other musicians who have been on the show, including uh, Tim Wheeler from Ash, Bernard Butler. We've had John Keeble from Spandau Ballet, James Vincent McMorrow, among other great guests like Ian Stone, Danny O'Dwyer, Luke Kempner, Philippe Beauclair, uh, Anders Janssen, Dara O'Brien, uh, Mark Strong, loads more, uh, which you can get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Right. Let's see what happens in the Bundesliga this weekend. It will be interesting. It will be informative to a certain degree. And uh, fingers 
crossed, everything goes okay there, and uh, it might just smooth the path to football returning in the Premier League uh, on schedule, maybe. Who knows? But we're getting there. We're getting just a little bit closer, and hopefully that also means that things are just getting a little bit safer for everyone. James and I will be here on Monday. We'll have an Arscast Extra for you. Until then, whatever you do, have a great weekend. We are going to play this one out with a song from Groove Armada. Got to put on my uh, best top 40 DJ voice. This is Groove Armada, and if everybody looked the same, catch you on the next one, folks. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.